to Luke 15, verses 25 to 32. Have you ever had a closed spirit? Have you ever just found that there was a wall between you and someone else? Either because of an offense or a hurt? I certainly have. Perhaps you have experienced the issue of a closed spirit in a church experience or in a family, in a marriage. And it's hard to deal with, isn't it? Either in your heart or in the hearts of others. Paul the Apostle had rebuked the Corinthian church for very uh, a, a huge variety of sins in his first letter to them. They became angry. They were critical. They accused him of a number of false things. And then he said in 2 Corinthians, this was his passion, Oh, Corinthians, our heart is open wide to you. Open wide to us also. And yet Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended brother or sister is harder to win than a wall city. Those walls go up and they hinder our love. They hinder forgiveness. They hinder relationships. And this is why the Bible in 1 John speaks about the danger of a closed heart or a closed spirit. 1 John 3.17, whoever, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? We need a, a fresh look at how to unlock closed spirits. And this is why as we look at the story of the older brother in Luke 15, we saw last week the younger brother, but we cannot dismiss the need for grace with all of us who may have an offended spirit or who deal with those who have closed spirits. And this is why another whatever is necessary. In this series entitled Whatever, whatever is needed to unlock a closed spirit attempted, whatever is needed to unlock a closed spirit, attempt it. Whatever it takes, we need to do it. So would you stand as we read this very famous story in what is the pearl of Jesus' parables in Luke 15. The chapter that we said last week is the lost and found chapter of the Bible. Lost mentioned eight times. Let's look at chapter 15, verse 25 and following. Now his older brother was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. You may be seated. As Paul said, make room for us in your hearts, Corinthians. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. 2 Corinthians 7, 2. In other words, Paul said, you have a closed spirit without cause. Our conscience is clear, but yours is not. Now, when we talk about closed spirits, I'm not dealing with the issue of doctrinal error or evil. Because the Bible says that Jesus was not entrusting himself to them. That is the unbelieving Jewish leadership. For he knew all men. John 2.24. Why? Because Jesus knew that he could not open up his heart to those who were closed to him and to truth. We're not screen doors in a submarine when it comes to doctrinal error and evil. Our hearts are not open to evil. They're not open to doctrinal error and imbalance. We have to be closed to the wrong and open for the love of God to flow through, though. So as we look at this chapter, you realize and remember, of course, that uh, the story of the prodigal son is an amazing picture of God's love and forgiveness. The young man that is the younger brother wanted his share of the estate before even the will had been put into effect. He wanted the death of his father, in essence. He demanded his share, and amazingly, the father had to sell off property and animals just to give the young man his share of the estate. And therefore, he took it all. He gathered it all up into cash, went into the far country, squandered in all of that uh, money with loose living his life. He, he was in a total mess and finally in a pig pen trying to get a job, trying to find food. He remembered his father and even the hired men, he said, had enough bread to eat. And he, a son, was perishing with hunger. So as he came to himself, he got up, he went back to the father and confessed sin. His repentance was complete. The father restored him. Let's have a party and celebrate, he said, for this son of mine was lost but found. He's dead, but he's alive again. Hallelujah. And they killed the fattened calf, and they made merry. Now, we see principles of what happens when you have a closed spirit, but I want to give some basic principles positively of how to unlock a closed spirit. The older brother, of course, is a picture of the Pharisees and the scribes who had criticized Jesus. As they said earlier in the chapter, in verse 2, that he receives sinners and eats with them. And I want to say, praise God. A little girl named Edith heard this story read, and she was uh, so delighted. She said, this is my favorite verse. 
He receives sinners and eateth with them. Well, he receives all of us. And Jesus is answering that criticism with this parable. But he's saying so much more than you would imagine. Now, here's the first principle. Join the party. And you see the joy and the celebration. Verse 6, there's a joy. Look, look back in the earlier part of the chapter. And uh, Jesus gives the parable of the lost sheep. And when the shepherd finds him and brings him home, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's repeated again in verse 10. And so the father says we have to have a party. We must celebrate and rejoice, he said in verse 32. You know, the Bible says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Romans 12, 15. And the beautiful word here, the Greek language, is, it, is the idea of joy just bubbling up. It just has to be. We have to celebrate. But of course, the older brother comes in from the field. He's been unaware of what's going on with the return of his younger brother. And he hears the music. He hears the beating of the drum and the three-stringed instrument. He then sees the circular dance made by the men and the shrill joy cry of the women, as in Jewish custom. And he turns to one of the uh, servants and he says, what's going on here? And he expects this man to beam with delight. Your brother has returned safe and sound and the fattened calf has been killed. But this young man does not receive this joy and this celebration. I can just see his eyes narrowing, his nostrils flaring, his forehead tightening, and all of a sudden his voice rises. And if I put it in modern language, maybe he would say, what is this fool of a father doing now? Doesn't he know that I have been saving that grain-fed beef for next week's sales promotion? And yet now he throws it all away on this loser of a son. He had no joy. He could not celebrate. He did not understand that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God and should be in our presence as well. Now, celebration is joy-filled, of course. There ought to be joy bubbling up within us. That joy should overflow and flood out any feeling of closeness and being offended. But also, the celebration is pride-exposing. Normally at banquets, <clears throat> the older brother was expected to be the head waiter. He would say, take and eat this for my sake. And it was as if the father said to the guests who were so honored, our sons are even your servants. You are so important to us. But horror of horrors. The main guest is, and the, the person honored is the younger brother. 
that the older brother so despises. He is exposing his pride. How can they have a party without my approval, he's saying. Why would my father do this, reinstating him without penalty, with just, just throwing away all that's happened to us as a family? The great Presbyterian Bible teacher and scholar, James Montgomery Boyce, put it so powerfully. We are never so like God as when we rejoice at the salvation of sinners, and never so like Satan as when we despise those who are thus converted and think ourselves superior to them. It's pride exposing, but also celebration is heaven inspiring and inspired. Look at verse 10 again in this chapter. Joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Isn't that wonderful? You see, our celebration is based on what happens in heaven. Jesus said that there are guardian angels looking over our children. In Matthew 18, 10, he said, There are angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so our joy is simply reflected from God's joy. The angels see the joy of the heavenly Father over this one who was lost and is found, and they rejoice. I mean, we can't even imagine angels having a party in heaven, can we? I guess they do high fives with their wings. I don't know. I don't know that they have wings. But they are beholding the joy of the Father, and it's heaven-inspired. It's wonderful. Do you realize how fabulous it is when someone is saved and forgiven? That's why this powerful word usage of being lost but found is a word that means finally found after long waiting and praying. The father had been in that same process day after day, waiting, longing, looking, praying for his son to come home. And now he has. He was lost and has been found. And it's the same powerful idea that we were lost in a state of lostness, literally. We were in a life of lostness in the pig pen, and Jesus, with His grace, died for us long ago and now saves us and forgives us. Man, that's reason for celebration. And so celebration is also evangelism enhancing. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to revive the dead. Up and again, that's the word. He was dead but is alive is a word that means up and alive, raised literally from the dead. We were all like Lazarus, dead in trespasses and sin, and Jesus has raised us up, and therefore we ought to share that good news. It ought to fire us up when someone repents. But when we have a closed spirit to anyone in the body of Christ, it quenches the spirit of evangelism with others. You may be just one small link in the chain of someone coming to Christ. You may be the one sowing and others reaping. You never know until that one finally comes home and repents. But we can rejoice at any part in the process that we have a part in heaven's celebration. 
A witness is too busy making the main thing the main thing. And as someone said, if you have the world on your heart, then you won't have chips on your shoulder and people under your skin. But then celebration gloriously is blood-bought. The sinner had repented and killed the fattened calf. One scholar that I read some years ago who had, de- had studied intensely the, the, uh, all of the feasting of uh, the Middle Eastern people, including Jews and Arabs alike, said that if there was a major return of someone like this, they would put blood over the doorpost, indicating that a sacrifice had been made to receive that one back safe and sound. We all come in to the family under the blood, don't we? Up and alive, lost but found. And one day, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says in Revelation 19.9, blessed. Supremely happy. We who are here, we ain't seen nothing yet, have we? What a party there's going to be in heaven because the Lamb of God shed His blood for us. What a reason for celebration. What does a fattened calf do anyway? He stands in the stall or in the pasture just waiting to drop dead at a moment's notice for someone to have a party. The fattened calf. And the Lord has said, the blood has been shed from the foundation of the world and God's purpose, and finally on the cross, and now we get to celebrate that wonderful forgiveness. That older brother had forgotten that he also was the recipient of grace. That father could have banished him because of his disrespect and his hard-heartedness, and yet he received him back and called him son. But here's the second principle. Douse the fire. Not only join the party, but douse the fire. He flames up in anger, and the Word says he became angry. It was a choice that he made, and the word is orge in Greek. It's the idea of the boiling up of rage. It's a fire out of control. I'm reading from uh, James And uh, if you want to look there, we'll look at James twice, but first in James 3, 5, and 6. Because there is a forest fire in so many families and churches today. Why? Because of the tongue. James said, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and get this, and is set on fire by hell. We are committing spiritual arson when we slander and speak wrongly, particularly about a brother. Anger is internal initially. Because he became angry, I think for a long time that older brother had resented the younger. Perhaps he thought he was the favorite of the father. And now when they had to sell property and animals to give him the share of the estate, it eventually affected 
the portfolio of the older brother, and he's mad as he can be. And yet the Bible says that that anger bubbles up, it boils over, but it's also anger that is ignited by speaking. He spoke in anger. He should have stayed out in the field and talked to the cows until he'd gotten control of himself. But he spoke. How many times do we just fire off a text or an email or make a phone call and just speak words of anger and hurt and say something that erects a wall that is hard to break down eventually with offended brothers and sisters? This is why the psalmist said, Psalm 50, 20, you sit and speak against your brother you slander your mother's son. When we have a closed spirit and an open mouth, we block the grace of God. Some years ago, a suicide was found. And on the body of this young lady was a note with two words. They said. You see, someone had said something that lit a forest fire in her heart, and she died as a result. You realize one of our biggest problems today with social media, particularly among young people and young adults, is the bullying and the shaming by others on social media, and they can't fight back. So much of it is, is anonymous, and it destroys people. It shouldn't, but we have a forest fire after a closed heart and a closed spirit. May God help us. But then here's the third principle. Not only join the party and douse the fire, but leave the island. In verse 28, it says he was not willing to go in and join the party, and yet the father came out to him. Anybody here remember the old TV series, Gilligan's Island? Whoever said comedy makes sense? And here they are after a three-hour cruise in a storm on an island, and how many seasons did it take to get off the island? I kept wondering why, if the professor is so smart, he doesn't build a boat and get them off the island. I think Mary Ann was a factor in that. <laughs> Some of you are saying, huh, What? But you see, we, we isolate ourselves, and we get on this island away from the body and the community. The older brother isolated himself, not only from the father and his brother, but everybody else. He was on an island all alone, and that's a dangerous place to be. Because, you see, we were made for community. That's why the New Testament again and again speaks about one another. Five times in Ephesians alone. We're here to be with one another. Not out as lone rangers. Because, you see, when we get offended, we then tend to pull away. And in 50 years of pastoring, I cannot remember how many times I have seen people isolate themselves because they thought others were talking about them or judging them or looking down on them or talking behind their back when in fact, quite honestly, these other people they were talking about had their own problems 
And they hardly were even thinking about you or someone else. Because, you see, we tend to think we are the center of the world. And everything revolves around us. And yet the Bible says we are living in community in the family of God, the forever family. You can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family. I'm your brother, whether you like it or not. We have sisters and brothers in the family. And so get off the island and go back to the mainland. After all, boat building is one of God's specialties. Remember the ark? So get back to the mainland, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more, the more exhorting one another in the local body of the church as you see the day of Christ approaching, Hebrews 10, 25. But here's the fourth principle, embrace the grace. And I see this in verses 31 and 32 particularly. As the father said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. What were his problems? There are three real problems. The older brother failed to know truly the father himself. He thought that this father was unjust and stingy with him and yet spendthrift with his brother. Normally, Jewish sons would address with great respect the father and even use the phrase, Oh, my father. But he refuses to say even that, but says this son of yours. In other words, he disowns his younger brother in his heart. He won't even, with respect, address the father. He forgot that God is our heavenly Father, and He reveals Himself in our family relationships. That's why children know about God, particularly by seeing how the heavenly Father works as the earthly father and the earthly mother care for them. We're God's ambassadors. But God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, Second Corinthians one three says, he couldn't understand the Father and how he could receive sinners and eat with them. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when Jesus received any sinner, no matter how bad, no matter how dirty, so must we. Remembering our Father who is in heaven. But then he had another problem. He was bound in legalism. And you hear him saying this in verse 29, uh, I have never neglected a command of yours. I have slaved for you. He used the word doulos. I have slaved for you all these years. And you never even gave me a baby goat. Now, do you see almost the irony in that? It's as if the father said, you could have had a hundred cows if you wanted. All that is mine is yours. And you wouldn't take advantage of it. 
You saw our relationship as a master-slave relationship, and you were just punching the clock. You were just doing the least you could do to get by, like an hourly worker who thinks about coffee breaks, vacation, lunch. When do we get off? How do I have, how, how little can I do to get by? He understood nothing about grace because he was living in, in legalism. He had, as Vance Havner put it, a hardening of the arteries. I ought to do this, I ought to do that, out of duty and not delight. You know, Paul talked to the Galatian Christians about their descent into legalism. They had come out of paganism, in, unfortunately, into Phariseeism. They had a pendulum swing from being achievement-driven by bowing to gods and going to temples, and now they were just going in the same uh, swamp again with hundreds of rules of Judaism, unable to finally be free. And this is why there is a pivotal verse in Galatians where Paul said this uh, to them, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5.11. And that is in the uh, aorist tense, which means He set us free historically on the cross, in the open tomb of the resurrection, and we are still set free today when we receive His grace. He was struggling with legalism, just like the scribes that Jesus was answering. And then lastly, He forgot what was rightfully His. He could have had all kinds of cows. You know, actually, he got two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger brother only got one-third of the estate. He had way more than the younger brother got, and yet here he is griping and complaining and closing his spirit to his father as well as his brother. He was in legalism, anger. He didn't know the father, and now all he thinks about is the least he could ever get was a young baby goat. And one scholar I read just yesterday said that was worth about 20 cents. A little baby goat couldn't do anything for you. And he could have had a big cow, a steak every day if he wanted. And the father would have rejoiced in it. Son, all that I have is yours. I love that word all, don't you? The Bible says all things belong to you, 1 Corinthians 3.2. You know, by Satan has one particular tactic that he uses with us. He makes us think that, yeah, okay, okay, you're going to get a lot in Christ, but it's going to be in eternity and not in this present earth. And yet the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 1.5, in everything we were enriched in Him, in Christ. Were enriched, not will be, but we have received all that we need in Christ. And that's why 2 Corinthians 9.8 is one of my favorite verses. That God has given us all grace to abound and be sufficient in all things. And we need to remember what we have in Christ. 
and live in the party, in the celebration, in the joy, and in the fullness of the Lord. All things belong to you. But then here's a fifth principle. This may be the hardest. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. If I look in the mirror and I see a bunch of hair sticking out, what do I need to do? Comb it. Deal with it. That's what mirrors are for. Look at James 1, 23 and 24. James, again, gets very practical and personal. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's that law of grace and not legalism, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And so what do we do about looking in the mirror? Well, first, evaluate your priorities. In verse 29, it's obvious that that all the younger, I mean, the older brother cared about was property and not people. He would just as soon have found the money that was lost with the younger brother than the son being found. He could have been lost as long as possible as far as this guy was concerned. But his focus was on the material and not the spiritual or the personal. His priorities were all wrong. And then expose any projection. In verse 30, this is amazing. He talks about how the younger brother has squandered everything with prostitutes. Can you just hear him say, how in the world can you have a party for this loser who has spent all his money on steamy one-night stands with sleazy bar pickups? And wasted everything in the distant land. Psychologists, and I I, I had a major in psychology and sociology in college with all the questions and none of the answers, by the way. (laughs) But psychologists call this projection. He is projecting onto his younger brother perhaps what he wanted to do but never actually would do. He may have wanted to go to the far country and, and uh, you know, have the big old time with all the girls, but he didn't do it. He stayed at home. Not because of spiritual commitment, but because of legalism, fear, or whatever. Projection. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to sow our wild oats and just do what we want. Listen, you will never have success when you make a mess of your life. But we have to fess up what we've messed up and come before God and say, like the younger brother, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And then lastly, we need to imitate the father. The father went out to the older brother. It was shameful for him to do that, just as it was shameful and dishonoring to run to the younger brother Afar off, no one over 30 ever ran except in contest. But he goes out to this man. 
And the father appeals to him and approaches him. He began pleading. This is constantly pleading with him. And it's the idea of coming alongside and asking him to see from his perspective. That's what that word means. And so when someone has a closed spirit against us, we need to seek reconciliation. We need to go to them that they will let us share our story, share our hurts, our misunderstanding, and ask for insight. Humble yourself before God, first of all, and go without anger and without condemnation. And the father goes and says, listen, I want you to understand, this, is, this had to be. We had to celebrate. This was the most important thing in the world. But the significance was that he approached him. He was the first stepper. And most of the time, if someone has a closed spirit to you, they're not going to come to you probably first. You're going to have to go to them if you're the more mature Christian. In 1913, there was a 50th anniversary remembrance of the Battle of Gettysburg in Pennsylvania, the pivotal battle of the Civil War. And about 40,000 people came to this reunion on the battlefield. They camped out with their families. They looked up old comrades. And then on the last day of the remembrance, by the way, the oldest veteran of the battle was 112. And on the last day, all the old Southerners gathered there in the woods and began walking across the field, that big open field in what was Pickett's Charge, where so many were killed uh, by enfilading fire from the Union forces. And they walked quietly across that field, and all the old northern troops that were there from the battle were behind the old stone wall on Cemetery Ridge. And when they got to that wall, they didn't meet bayonets, but hugs and handshakes. Americans, one and all. Walls are no match for forgiveness. Closed doors have no match against grace, prayer, and the power of God. Now, the conclusion of this story is not mentioned. It's unknown. We don't know what happened to the older brother. It's left hanging in midair, but probably he did not reconcile because he represented those hardened Pharisees and scribes. The Bible says, as much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. Romans 12, 8. Do your part. It's a, it's a two-way street for sure. And they may not forgive. They may not open their hearts. They may never make it right. But you do what's right in the sight of God. It's never too late to do what's right. And it's never too late to undo what's wrong. As much as lies within you. You know, when Paul came to the end of his life, I remember just about three years ago, reading this passage again with fresh eyes and fresh pain and hurt. 
It was hard for me not to have a closed spirit towards some people. And I read in 2 Timothy, as Paul was relating the last days just before his execution, that all had deserted him, and only one had been with him, even some of his Christian friends. And he said, Alexander, the coppersmith, has done me much harm. And then he mentioned Demas, one of the strong disciples who had forsaken God and Paul, loving this present world. But here's what Paul did. He forgave them. May it not be counted against them. Reflecting the words of Jesus on the cross, the words of Stephen as he was stoned, the words of little Ruby Bridges, the little African-American girl who forgave the hateful people in New Orleans when she integrated that public school. May it not be held against them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But here's the secret of Paul's life and his death and his dealing with closed hearts and spirits. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He never fails. Would you bow your heads, please, in prayer? Most importantly, we must not close our spirits to Christ. He said, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. In Matthew eleven six. 6, blessed, are you offended by Christ? Have you closed your spirit to him or your heart? If you are an unbeliever, that's what you've done. He said, you're either for me or against me. And if you're not for me and with me, you're not really part of me. If you have never put your faith in Christ and come to his reception, he will receive you. He will forgive you. But you must be willing to say, I have sinned and repent of that sin. And then put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask our prayer team if they would come and gather at the front. I'm just going to ask that we play softly. Please, Linda. And as you hear this music, I want you to be in a spirit of prayer. Our prayer team is going to be here. And if God has spoken to your heart about something, perhaps you need to come as, as about five did last Sunday and pray with us and be willing to do whatever God says, whatever it takes to open your heart whatever it takes to follow Christ. But most importantly, if you have not trusted in Christ alone for salvation, come home. Come, come today. Just get up. You just stay seated. Just get up and come. People will let you out. And we'll share with you how to know His forgiveness. But let's just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed in prayer. Let's do business with God right now. The service is almost over. Oh God, thank you for your love, forgiveness, and grace. Your reception of us and not rejection. Whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will not cast out. Thank you, Lord.
no one else is looking around but me. How many of my Christian brothers and sisters here, how many of you would say, Hayes, I, I do have a closed spirit that has become a real issue in my life. I need to deal with this. Anybody want to admit? Just raise your hand. Helps the first step toward God. Anybody? You have a closed spirit towards someone else. Anyone? Am I the only one who can raise a hand? Perhaps there's someone that's got a closed spirit to you, and you're praying about it. Anyone like that? Would you say yes with a hand? I've, it's an issue. They've closed their heart to me. Anyone else? All right, Lord, you know the need that we have. Maybe some of us need to really get on our knees today and come before the Lord and deal with this. Praise team. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your grace.